I'm so pleased to introduce you to the first of two special issue podcasts recorded live at the In Pursuit of Luxury conference, all in celebration of visionary women. Join the designer Maria Grashvogel, Lydia Slater, the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar, Bijou Abiola, Director of Consumer Insight and Strategy, and Catherine Jobling, the Chief Operating Officer at All Saints, and John Vivatos. Join them and I and Veronica Manlo for an insight into their worlds. So I'd like to welcome Lydia Slater, the Editor-in-Chief at Harper's Bazaar, Bijou Abiola, a Consumer and Data Specialist uh, for Luxury Brands, the designer Maria Grashvogel, and Catherine Scorey-Jobling, the Chief Operating Officer at All Saints and John Favatos. So welcome all of you. It's lovely to see you. So today we're going to be talking about, amongst other things, visual communication and communicating luxury. But I would like um, to start by asking the panel how you think having vision as visionary women shapes the world around us. And I thought, Maria, would you like to start with that question? Yes, uh, yes, of course. Um, I mean, I think, you know, creativity always starts with the vision. Um, it's essentially a kind of the beginning of the thought process, if you like. So you have a, a vision, an idea or a thought. And it's only when we start to share that vision with others in almost kind of, in a way, it's a little bit like lighting a fire, uh, whether it's the words we use, the visual imagery we use to communicate that vision, that's in a sense, that's what's key to start sparking inspiration. And when inspiration happens, you start to have action and, you know, others sort of taking part in your vision. And it's at that point think, that it starts to impact the world around you. Uh, Catherine, what are your thoughts? For me, I mean, I think Maria's totally right. Our roles are you know, both working in fashion. I think it's so important to to have a vision. So, for example, with, with us here at All Things, it's obviously a vision to create really beautiful, sustainable clothes that have longevity, but it's also to be good employers. So your vision doesn't have to be just about fashion. It can be broader. So, I mean, I, I, I really love that about this brand, you know, that it's not just, about a vision from a end user perspective, but also for the journey. So I find that very inspiring. Um, and Lydia, what about you? I mean, you see things from a, a slightly different perspective from than from somebody actually making something, although you produce it magically. Yes, um, I think it's about it's about both having a vision and communicating that vision. And so for me, we have our own vision and we have our mission statement and. Harper's Bazaar has always been about for well-dressed women with well-dressed minds. And, we, and so, so I guess it's about thinking, does this, does whatever it is I'm talking about, have a vision of its own and can I communicate that? Um, so it's a sort of two-way thing for me. Um, and Bijou, what about you? Um, I think I said this when we chatted, Sean, which is like, for me, vision is, is pretty literal. The way I think of it is the ability to think of things as they can be. And so I, you know, generally we have our day-to-day, -day, we have our expectations, we have our mission statements, but vision for me, when I think of it is more, you know, what what's next? What's that next thing? And to Lydia's point, it's being able to sell that vision because a lot of people have vision. I think where the challenge is, is around uh, selling it to other people. But that leads us um, beautifully onto communication, I think, because, you know, getting the message out there and telling people about all the amazing stuff that you are doing or we are doing is crucial. And I was just wondering, in terms of within a luxury context, how do you communicate luxury? Or do you think our communication channels um, have changed to anybody? I'll, I'll take it on since I, <laughs> yeah. I... I definitely think that... So I'm... I've been in this space for a little over a decade, but I've definitely seen it evolve tremendously. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking yesterday about Bottega's decision not to be on Instagram, right? Uh, whereas so many other brands like Prada, Gucci are really maximizing the program and even now TikTok. And so I think, especially with Gen Z, the way that luxury is communicated has changed significantly. We've gone from being like the perfect model, the perfect looking person to almost like imperfections being allowed. Um, and so it's been really interesting to see the evolution of what uh, luxury looks like from a visual perspective. But I think it's more the idea of luxury. 
Um, and really quickly, I'll give the example of like Gucci's recent campaign where they had James Corbin like do this mock interview set with all these different age range of models from Harry Styles all the way to, I think it was Diane Keaton. I don't remember who the, the person was, but it's essentially the idea of luxury and not the image of luxury, I think, that's being sold now. Interesting. Um, well, uh, Lydia, I mean, you, you may partly be responsible for that because you are showing us the, um, you know, the, the images that we see, I suppose, more so because it's a publication that communicate, you know, communicates ideas around fashion and luxury and um, lifestyle. I was wondering what your thoughts about communicating luxury was and how it's changed. I, I mean, I, I sort of agree with everything that Bijou said, and it's very interesting the way that um, luxury communication is changing all the time now. And so we still communicate, uh, obviously, in the sort of time-honoured traditional way that magazines always have. We do a beautiful shoot. We we, we write beautiful words. Um, and I really feel that there is definitely a place in this increasingly fast-paced environment for that very curated edit of, you know, what's out there presented as beautifully as possible. But at the same time, I find it very exciting, the kind of authenticity of allowing imperfection of people talking about their personal reaction to things, of brands telling their, their own stories in a different way. And I find that the whole, the whole mashup of it all is, is just is allowing the consumer to experience luxury in whatever way they themselves find it most interesting. And I, I really like it. I mean, do you think that's um, a new way of telling that, the luxury story? I think, I think that we've all understood that over the past year, you know, what we each consider luxury is, has become very personal. Um, and it's it could be, it could still be the the fabulous handbag, but it could equally be a night in. Uh, I think I said to you, a night in perfectly ironed, antique linen sheets, or it could be having your own garden, or whatever it is, or spending time with your family. You know, we've all appreciated a different concept of luxury, and so um, I think that that it's got to be a personal response now. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely with you on the iron sheets. <laughs> that's my that's my thing maria what about you because you um a lot of your social campaign is around um kind of um, reusing um garments that are uh, treasured pieces you know the heritage in that what about you and the way you communicate luxury well i think i think that everything that's been said so far in terms of the visual imagery and how that's changed, I think is hugely important. And I think it's wonderful that we're starting to become, let's say, more inclusive visually in our representation of luxury. And I think what's also happening is, you know, and I think Lydia picked up on a very key word is authenticity. And I think that the authentic nature of the voice of the brand, the authentic nature of what you believe to be your vision and your way of communicating over and above simply the visual, um, I think is also becoming more and more important. So that brand story, the values behind the brand and, and what you're founded on, what means something to you. So if you are going to buy a Maria Grachvogel piece, what does that actually mean over and above the experience of it being something beautiful? And, you know, I, I believe that that is an important part of that communication now in terms of the consumer, because we've moved from a place where brands put out their vision to the world and everybody says, oh, wow, that's the trend, let's follow the trend. In fact, I would say it's gone completely in the other direction and luxury has been much more consumer-driven. It's driven by consumer demand. So ultimately, the brands are responsible then for communicating their vision to perhaps a more niche group of clients that respond and really believe in those same values. Catherine, what do you think, how things change? You've got two different spectrums, I guess. You've got John Bavatos and you've got All Saints, and they are quite different, but you have to communicate this message of luxury um, in different ways to your audience or your customer base. I think, I think the last year has been transformative. And I think, I think firstly, if you talk about communication, I, I loved what Lydia said on her podcast about, being, about communication being 
you know, just making sure that it's really easy for everybody to understand. And I know that's not about luxury, but I think any form of communication, I think if you make it too difficult for people to understand or make it too too ethereal and too out there, I think it's difficult for the consumer or for anybody to fathom what's going on. And I think, um, but you're right, Sean, our communication about luxury across the two brands is very different. But for us, it's more about a feeling. So, you know, even when we do when we do the campaigns um, for JV, it's all about being a lot more um, how you would feel within the clothes more than a, a image. And we use all different spectrums to be used point. You know, we go from um, from big campaign images to very relaxed images that are taken um, of our consumers wearing the product. So it's very varied, which I think is so new and interesting and not so rigid and predictable. What then do you think about the way we have changed the interaction we have with our customers through the use of of technology? Because we are, you know, we're using social media. There's been a a huge increase in the ways in which we um, shop online, thousands of percent, um, because we were forced to. You know, we're communicating in one way, so the visuals, but then we're also communicating in another way, which is forcing us to, I suppose, adapt and or adopt ways of interaction using technology. What, how do you feel technology has changed? Catherine, you probably the, the most reach in terms of a, a customer base who are buying that type of product. Well, obviously, pre-pandemic, you know, our digital sales were in the 20s. And then last year, they were like, they were about 65%. They were huge. Um, and what we needed to do was talk to the customer much more regularly when they were online. So like chat um, and then the stylists, we've got this um, app in the US called Hero where the customers can talk to um, to the stylists in the stores and they're so knowledgeable at John Bovetta. So we, we've spoken to the customer in a lot more intimate way than ever before and a lot more regularly. And the customers enjoyed it. And what's been really interesting since we've come out of lockdown is how the customers have wanted the engagement in store, which we didn't expect. So the communication within store has been a lot more. And and that's not through technology. That's on a one-to-one basis. But we do use lots lots of technological means to talk to our consumers. And it has definitely helped us get through what has been probably the trickiest time of my lifetime in in fashion does that answer your question it does it's been a tricky time (laughs) and what about personally Catherine I mean just in the way you um I'm going to ask everybody this because it's fascinating what um what about you personally and from a business perspective it's been really tough um year and a half um just being able to navigate this you know the cash flow and the stock coming in and out of our business and having to you know at one stage two and 240 of our doors closed and with all the stock in ships coming towards us. So that was really tough. And lots of, we went through a CVA, um, which um, was really tough. Then we bought John Barbados. I mean, it's been full on. But personally, it's been quite weird because obviously I'm in the office today, but I was mostly at home and I have a six-year-old and I was always at work. And um I actually really got to know my daughter, which was amazing. And um, we did homework together and I was home by six and obviously because calls were finished. So I have this like love hate over the last year and a half because it was so hard from a professional perspective, but so fulfilling from a personal perspective. You know, I don't have a garden. We live in a muse. So we put plants on our street outside and I love that. So that's my form of luxury. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have I have loved the time with my family. So um, and what about you, Bijou? So there two there were two questions there. One I snuck in, which was a personal one, but about how technology has um, changed the way you interact. Yeah, there is this um, meme that came out shortly after COVID that was like. I can't do it justice, but essentially it's like digital acceleration, right? Like the C technology officers talking to the CEO, like we need digital transformation. And then there's a huge cannonball with the COVID on it that comes and kind of breaks everything down. And that's essentially what has happened. I do think that in the luxury space, if I think about 
sort of my old world because uh, now I'm in more the cosmetic luxury versus apparel luxury. It actually became more personal. So we had our associates texting their customers directly. We started doing daily deliveries to the Hamptons because obviously that's where the affluent New York customer went to live. Um, she wanted her diamonds. Um, and I think the, and big, the freshly ironed sheets. Yeah, freshly ironed <laughs> sheets. And then she wanted the diamonds. Um, because we saw like fine, like we saw fine jewelry sales skyrocket. And we're like, where is she going? She just wants to wear while she had breakfast at home. And so it was um, very personal. And that sort of, when the Catherine was talking about people returning to stores, I kind of expected that based on just what I was seeing in terms of these customers didn't want to engage with the masses online. They really wanted someone to cater to them. Um, and that, I think, is just the epitome of, of luxury in a way, right? They're not spoiled. They are just people who like fine things. And with stores opening again, what we're starting to see, so it was in, it was in phases. So the first part was, I want this. Can you bring it to my Hampton home? And we started having our ops people drive out to the Hamptons, and then it became like a same-day delivery innovation that happened. Then it was the, well, the store isn't really opened yet, but we're going to open it up at 10 a.m. for our exclusive clients to come in and shop before it opens to the masses. And then now that the stores are open again, they're starting to come back in the store. So it's so to, your, to answer your question, technology has definitely ramped up in terms of, you know, the need for buying and pick up in the store omni um, flow, but it's more personal, I would say now. And what about for you personally? As a shopper? As a shopper. Oh, as a shopper, not much has changed. I have like a ride in the stores as soon as they said we could go in. I just love, I love, love, love being surrounded by like the whole online thing, the delayed gratification, waiting to see if it comes and if I like it, it just doesn't work for me. Um, I did not shop much during the, I mean, during the pandemic in terms of like luxury items. But as soon as the store opens, I was in there. Um, and yeah, it was like revenge buying. <laughs> revenge buying that's uh, a, a new only I get in the revenge because it's my wallet right but well I, I I kind of agree with um the personal approach um certainly from my experience obviously we're a, a much smaller brand and business but we saw exactly the same kind of thing throughout the lockdown um we kind of focused on really communicating in a very personal way with our clients um, and so we did some, we offered virtual styling where we would do kind of one-on-one -on -one appointments over Zoom. Um, but as soon as we were open, in terms of allowed to open our doors again, we started to see people come back and just really enjoy the experience of shopping again. So I think there's, there's a lot you can do online, but I think in terms of that luxury customer service, that one-on-one -on -one and that expectation, um, I totally agree with with Bijou and your point of view on that. It's, it's exactly what we found on on our side is people have actually, in some ways, really appreciated that a lot more. Um, that individual customer service. What was your luxury? Your personal luxury? Gosh, really. Um, I think the, everyone's personal luxury has become that has become time. Actually. Um, and I would say that's been the case for some years because we're all so busy with this kind of very fast paced world to actually have the time to sit and think, which even through lockdown, for some reason, I ended up just, I guess I'm the business owner. You just work, work, work. So I had a two week period last year, which I took off and had a sort of a break and that was a wonderful piece of luxury for me. I wonder if the panelists think that the luxury consumer has changed. There's been so much talk about a new consciousness and perhaps more concern about sustainability and other issues. What are your thoughts on that? Gosh, I, I do I really do believe in um in that. I've seen, you know, what's quite interesting, we've always had this, I suppose, point of view of a more timeless approach to to fashion. And dressing for the individual to enhance your well-being. And I, I guess we've always believed that if you choose something that you truly love, you're going to wear it and enjoy it for many years to come. And that's in some ways the most sustainable approach to fashion. And 
what's been interesting for us is actually we've had quite a few clients come back to us now that haven't shopped with us for even 10 years. So, I mean, we've always had our sort of really regular, loyal customer base. But more and more, we're getting people that are just coming in and like, oh, you know, how have you um, have you bought anything from us before? And it turns out that they have from like 10 years ago when I had a shop on Sloan Street. And they've kind of sought us out because that was a go-to piece in their wardrobe and they always get lots of compliments on it. And so they're starting to think about how they might buy differently now going forward. So I think there is a sort of growing consciousness around, I guess, waste. And if I'm going to buy something and invest the money, I want it to be beautiful and make me feel good. And I think that's, you know, you're definitely going to see a, a fast approach and a slow approach. And we're in that slow, in that slow camp. I would say. And do others have thoughts on this about a change of consciousness that may have come about? I, I personally feel, certainly I feel the demand from, from readers um, and where I think luxury used to be presented in opposition to sustainability now feels an absolutely integral part of it. And I think what people are paying for when they buy something luxurious is they want it to feel good. And that isn't just about what it feels like on the skin. It, it's it's about feeling that it's actually somewhere that's uh, that's been made responsibly that's that's not going to damage the environment where the some of the money is get perhaps going back into the community and all those things are actually part of the luxury experience because you can't feel good if you know that your your beautiful handbag has been made you know exploitatively i i feel and, and that's certainly the perspective that we are hearing from uh, our readers. I think that's definitely something that's changed. Maybe Bijou would comment also on, in terms of the changes in digital and how that might move forward in the future and others as well about all of these new directions that you know may have come about after COVID. Are we talking in terms of sustainability or um, just digital in general? Well, perhaps sustainability at first, and then maybe you can also address the digital changes that we can expect to see with customers. I think one thing that has definitely picked up a lot is the resale market, right? We've seen that continue to grow. Um, and that started before COVID. But I think to Lydia and Marie's point, people are more conscious of waste. And so it's this idea. And, and I think part of it is also a lack of disposable income of the new entrance into the luxury market. So like your Gen Z who wants a bag, but really can't afford it. And so she buys the used one, but then like she changes it to like, well, I'm just being sustainable. Well, it's like more like you can't afford the new one. Right. So I, I do think it's a mix of things where um, some some people in this generation or this incoming generation are just very conscious of waste and some just don't have the disposable income yet. Uh, but the general public is more conscious. I know for me, it was like sitting at home for a year with all the bags and you're like not going anywhere. You just feel like, why did I spend all this money and all this stuff? And then the world opens and then you just keep buying again. Um, one thing here to stay is definitely that are going to be on, you know, have a digital presence. A lot of them had sort of, uh, well, not a lot of them. Some of them, I can't think of who right now. I think Balenciaga, quite a few of them had sort of um, contracted their e-commerce businesses to other um, retailers. So I think Net-A-Porte or Farfetch manage most of the luxury brand uh, platforms, but many of them are now managing their own. And that's because primarily, if you think of the number of people that are transacting online, I don't remember who said this earlier, the number of the amount of information that your consumer personalized is even more heightened today than it was just 18, you know, 16 months ago. Um, so I think the digital piece of things that will change is everyone's online. Um, everyone's glitch about their distribution online because you also kind of like the site wanting your things everywhere. It's going to become not wanting your things on every single website. So I think you'll see a consolidation of online. And then there's going to be this heightened sense of personalization, even online. I think the time will come when you log in and you see it, and you even see it now, you know, recommended for you, right? It's like, we've studied you, we've studied your click patterns. Here are the things that we think that you would like, because that will then increase your conversion. So I think it becomes more personalized. Um, and yeah. Thanks so much. And Catherine, I think you were going to say something about sustainability. 
I was just going to add to what um, Lydia said. You know, we we work with Selfridges and Harrods and all, all the department stores across the globe, and it's of paramount importance to them, the sustainability, you know, um, because I think it's not luxury at all costs anymore. I don't think it feels luxurious to have something that you know was not made um, in a in a sustainable way. And you can see it, you know, if you go onto Net Forte, everything that says Net Sustain, and if you go into Selfridges, everything has a tag that has sustainable attributes and is made in a sustainable way. So it, it's there's definitely been a shift, a huge shift, and um, not because there's legislation coming, and there is legislation coming, but because it's the right thing to do for planet Earth. And as an adult, we should be treating the Earth with respect. So, And I think if you consume, you should try and do it in the most educated way. So people ask lots of questions which we didn't used to get. You know, is the how, where does that leather come from? Is it traceable? Does it come from, they know lots as well, does it come from a leather working group that is gold rated? You know, is, is the tannery gold rated? So. It's, it's very interesting. I love the change that the world is going through. Thank you so much, Catherine. And Lydia, did you want to speak about this a bit? Yes. I mean, I suppose, obviously, we are selling a product um, as well, but it's, it's a kind of 360 thing, bizarre. I mean, it's a, it's a magazine, it's a website, but, and also it's events very much. And um, we and it was interesting, actually, what, um, what people have said about returning to stores, because we did a lot of virtual events and they were very successful. But I, I, again, there's this real hunger to get back in the room physically and to meet people physically and not to be doing everything over Zoom. I think things will never be the same again, but perhaps they might not be as different as we thought, I, I suppose, is, is, is the way that I'm beginning to feel now. Exactly. And I'm wondering, as women in luxury maybe we can have a bit of discussion about the challenges you feel that you've faced in terms of you're in all different sectors. So I think it might be interesting to see if there are any commonalities and maybe things that you feel women have really achieved in luxury that you'd like to mention. Well, I guess, you know, I, I guess as a working mother, um, and I guess many will, will agree that this has been a really, really challenging time, just having to bring work home full time, having children around you know, 24-7, not being able to escape the office. I found that really, really difficult. But on the other hand, I've also really appreciated the, 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 the flexibility and, you know, being able to go for a walk at lunchtime and all those things. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would like, I, I feel like the world of work has really been impacted. And, um, but I'm, I'm quite interested to see what will happen again, because, uh, Half my team are desperate to come back in full time and the other half never want to set foot in the office ever again. <laughs> I think that's common. I've heard that, I've heard that around uh, from, from lots of different people. Some people have really enjoyed working from home and the flexibility that that brings. And I think, you know, you addressed something really key that perhaps is not often spoken about in a way, is that women generally have perhaps more of a challenge on their plate if they choose, let's say, to pursue a career in a very strong way. You're the one that's expected to juggle all of these different commitments. And in the end, it's, it, it becomes in some ways quite stressful to try and manage all of these different aspects of your life as a woman. You have to be a great boss or employer or employee or somebody great in terms of delivering what you need to at work. You've also got to be an excellent wife, an excellent mother. And actually, where is the time within all these different pictures for just for you? You know, so I think the, that the past year has given people back some of that time, even if it's in small little components as part of an overall. And even though it's come with, let's say, some frustrations of virtual schooling and various other things alongside it. But it, perhaps it's made us appreciate certain things in terms of the human aspects of of our of, of being a woman, essentially. I think um, I think Maria, you're right. I think you know there's this expectation. Uh, you know, before I had Alexandra, I didn't realise that 
I don't know if this is for lots of women, but this is how it was for me. She really does gravitate, shouldn't say this out loud, but she do, does gravitate to me more. But I've got such a demanding job. So it's so hard. So when I'm home, I she, you know, I've got to be engaged with my six-year-old because she's quite a demanding kid. I think what's what's interesting is that balance as a woman, you know, being able to be great at your job, great at your great being a wife, great being a, a sister and a, and also great being a mother. It's a lot, right? Which a lot of career women don't talk about. So Maria, I thought it was very enlightening hearing you know, everybody thinks that women, you know, we can multitask, we can do it all. Oh my God, I don't think I can do it all. <laughs> That's just being honest. You know, sometimes I drop the ball. I am a terrible homeschooling mother, just to be frank. I mean, my poor child should like, give me back my teachers, please. <laughs> so, um, aren't think, we all? <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm a shocker. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I don't think that women can do it all. And, you know, there's this, like, belief that you can just do it all. You've got to let some stuff go. So now I, like, let stuff go. Doesn't matter. Just let it go. Give yourself a break, you know. You only live one. It's not so important. But I do like iron linen sheet. I can't do that. I don't have the time. <laughs> I have to say, though, like, as someone who does not have children, that I recently joined a company that has a ton of women in leadership. And um, I have been just blown away by their ability to show up at work what seems 100% and also at home what seems 100%. And I just don't know that that would be the same if, you know, I just don't know that men could do it. No offense, Sean. We're talking here about women in luxury and how you show up. Um, I just, I have been, I've been blown away. And I think also very inspired as a, you know, young professional woman that like you can essentially do both. Um, so while women can do it all, one of the biggest learnings for me in the past year, it has been learning about the strength of womanhood um, in this, in this space in a very demanding, demanding uh, capacity. So kudos to, to all of you. Oh, bless you. It's uh, you try and do it all, but you don't always feel like you're succeeding. So you know, Maria, you do do it all, but you don't enjoy life because you're like running from pillar to post. And what I think the, the, the COVID is horrendous, but what it has given all of us is a little bit more time to appreciate the beautiful things, a hug in the morning, you know, sitting outside um, in, you know, looking at flowers and reading a magazine is to me like, you know, having time. I get loads of magazines. I don't have time to read them. I've been reading magazines. It's amazing. It's great to hear. <laughs> I'm in awe of all of you who have been juggling work and children and animals, pets, um, and not being able to go shopping or on holiday. And then I was about to ask um, Lydia about um, how things have changed in the magazine world with technology enabling um, lots of different things to happen. I mean, I know because this is etched in my mind about how you orchestrated all those shoots without having crew. Yeah, like I mean, uh, to put this into a bit of perspective, when, when we left, um, we were still proofing the magazine on paper and sort of crossing words out and something, you know, putting little emission marks and writing everything in. So that was how old school we were. Basically, once lockdown happened, we had all these shoots lined up and... Suddenly, I mean, like the one I mentioned to Sean was this, this uh, shoot with Ashley Graham, the um, American plus-size supermodel. And she, it was all lined up. She was going to be shot in the studio. We had the photographer. We had everything. Suddenly, she left New York. She went to Nebraska with her husband and baby, and we had no cover. And so we, we had, basically, we asked her husband to take the pictures. Um, and our creative director was sort of directing him through uh, um, FaceTime. And then her mum was doing her makeup. And, um, and, and it was incredibly sort of uh, low, low fi, I guess. It was, um, and, and we had another shoot where, again, for COVID reasons, we weren't allowed a makeup artist. So the makeup artist um, told the model, sort of guided her through uh, Zoom. You know, now put a little bit more red 
in the middle of your lip and now smudge it out and now you know and and, and, and so basically the model did her own makeup and we've had shoots where the photographer even shot remotely so from being incredibly old school we became because we just had to unbelievably tech savvy. <laughs> um yeah, so it's been quite a journey. I mean, I'm not saying we wouldn't quite like to go back to the way it was because obviously if you're hands-on and everybody's there, you, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, you can achieve a higher degree of polish and perfection. But on the other hand, there's something kind of quite fabulous and, and to go back to the authentic word, um, authentic about, uh, about somebody being photographed by their own husband. Uh, wearing their own clothes with their baby on set you know that's kind of rather intimate and great so yeah that's what we had to do yeah I mean it, it's it's quite amazing to think that you could do that um I still I'm in awe Maria had a similar experience um when we spoke last year that you know nobody was allowed in the shop but how do you kind of get the message out there I remember you had orchestrated a shoot lucky you yeah, in, in just that little window where we were allowed to uh, be open. I mean, we're lucky that we don't have to do it. Like Lydia, you obviously have to do lots of shoots. We we don't do we do a couple a year, um, so we manage to to time it. And but then that requires a certain amount of careful planning and organisation because you're sort of future planning in terms of your photography. But um, but yeah, we make it work. We always. I think that's the beauty of creativity. You always find a way to make things work. I was thinking about all of your work and working within this global context and how this past year has forced us to think much more locally because we have been confined, I suppose. I was just wondering how that manif manifested itself with all of you and the way you um, you worked, you know, thinking about, well, everything's going on globally, but we need to kind of maintain some sort of community. This could be to anybody. <laughs> well, what the feedback that I have had from our um, major uh, advertisers has been that they very much want us. They want local. They want the focus to be local because obviously people aren't really traveling. So it's very important to speak to the British luxury consumer now in a way that maybe last year it wasn't so much because you could rely on or no, not last year but the year before you could rely on people flying in and it didn't really matter you know yeah so so it's like very it's actually become very key to talk to your local market which I think is quite quite interesting yeah it's a, it's a very different dynamic isn't it working in that way Bijou what about you I actually think it's become more international but I think it's just the difference in I changed jobs. I moved to a French company. I'm in New York. It's like, actually, no, I'm in Houston right now. So it's 7.30 a.m. And here I am in this conference with you guys. But the localization strategy, I think, has always been the strategy for us. Because if you think of, you know, Saks being like a, an American department store, where you felt the uh, the void of the international community, obviously, from New York was like the tourist community, not coming into New York as much. But um, from a localization standpoint, I think it's just been about yeah, catering locally. Um, but I felt it become more international just from a communication standpoint and from a reach standpoint. From a consumer standpoint, I think the strategy has almost always been local for us. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Catherine? A bit of the same, you know, because now I manage two brands from a design perspective, one in New York and one here in the UK, um, in London. but. From a personal perspective, I now shop locally. We've got an amazing Italian delicatessen down the road. I buy my coffee from two blocks away. Um, I buy my, all my flowers from the florist around the corner. So all the money that I spend is very local. And I'm not far from Selfridges, so, you know, my money is local. But I'm actually working internationally, just like Bijou. So I find that our reach is far now. And I, I, I hadn't thought about it for a while. But just listening to Lydia talk about how the magazine, how you used to do everything, you know, very hands-on. We used to do exactly the same here. You know, we used to hand illustrate and we used to have all these foam boards, which was so bad for the environment. And we used to do everything in my office and we drag these boards around. And now, just click, join a meeting, and it's all, I can refer to it digitally. I love it. I can check everybody, you know, can 
see whether I really did like it the next day where I don't have to go and have a look at this, these huge boards. Or, so, yeah, so a bit of both, actually. And um, Maria, what about, what about you? Because I know you've got a store in Singapore. and Yeah, so, I mean, again, we have a very local business. Um, we're local insofar as all of our production's local. Everything's really, we can turn things around incredibly quickly because we cut things. We even make things in-house and with a network of suppliers very local to us in London. So from that perspective, it's local, which has helped us enormously over the past year. But our customer base is international. So we have a, a store in Singapore that, um, that we still have and has been also subject to its own challenges during this time. Um, and a store here in London. But in London, we serve a wider community. Actually, we have clients from America, clients from Europe. And obviously, they haven't been able to get to us. So those appointments are still being run virtually because travel's still not allowed. Um, and I would say in Singapore, we have a similar issue where there's a, a local consumer in Singapore, but we also have customers from Indonesia, from China, from Taiwan, from different parts of Asia that come to Singapore and it's a, it's a hub for them. And because the borders have been still largely closed, actually, you know, we're sort of, our, our business has become much more local over the last year in terms of even that market, in terms of our local customer there. Yeah. I was just, I was wondering what you all thought about this convergence of the real world and the virtual world and whether of concern, because we seem to be spending so much time on screen. We are spending more and more time on screen, but I think what's certainly from, from my experience, and perhaps it's my customer base and a certain age and demographic, my experience is that all the, everyone is craving human interaction again, mm. desperate to feel things, touch things, yeah. have the human element. Um, and I'm really seeing that as we've started to open our doors again in terms of, you know, the excitement that's going on when a woman's coming in and how she's feeling. And, and actually, I'm just, I'm loving it. And it's, it's, although it's been fantastic to have that virtual element, it's not really the same yeah. when you're talking about this kind of experience of, of fitting and trying on clothes. No, and that's why I asked, because historically, luxury was always about this tactile connection to whatever it was, whether it was, you know, buying a product, um, you know, trying something, you know, trying a piece of clothing on or shoes or um, buying a book or buying a magazine. It was always, you know, you could hold something. Uh, yeah, it's also, it's about, it's as much about how something looks as how something feels. And also there's an element of not only the way, say, a fabric might feel on the body, but there's you can you can see and experience and feel the quality in a way that you don't see all of those nuances and subtleties online. Some of those things, you know, as we've we've pushed more and more into this faster paced digital world, it's all about this how does it look? Wow, this impactful image yeah. without so much the kind of detail and the craft. And face to face you can experience those things in a whole different way you can explain the nuances of the way something is cut for example and and how you can make that work for you and not only your body but also for your lifestyle and how you can incorporate that which becomes part of the education process of this is how you might incorporate this garment into your world into your life into your wardrobe and so I feel that it's a hugely important part of it's certainly an important part of the communication process for us. And my experience from our customer is that they've really missed it. They've really missed the physical experience of going into a store. Um, Lydia, I was thinking about magazines. You know, I remember as a kid, uh, well, not as a kid, um, probably as a teenager, that, you know, the excitement of going to get the new, you know, running down to the newsagents to get the new magazine and kind of have it in your hands. I was wondering, has that changed for you? No, I don't think so. And um, I think I always find it a bit unhelpful that people sort of, in, in certainly in the magazine context, are always putting it as a sort of 
either or situation. It's like, you know, oh, well, it's, it's on, you know, it's, it's either online or, or it's the physical one, but that's not the way I see it at all. I mean, it's sort of like buying a book or reading on Kindle. I do both all the time. And it's a totally different experience for me. You know, if I just want to, if I just want to read something that um, I just want some information, obviously I'm not going to go to Waterstone and buy a book. I'm just going to look on my Kindle or look on the internet or wherever. But buying a magazine is, is, it is a sort of, in a way, it's a portable luxury environment. Well, that's what we try and be. Mm. And so the idea is that you buy it. It looks beautiful. It feels beautiful. It smells beautiful. The pages are thick. They're glossy. You know, you turn them over and, and you enjoy that whole experience and it's sort of and, and you're not supposed to be flicking through it like that you're supposed to be sitting down and taking time so so um i think that actually in a way that's it's even more that way now because because life is so intense and these precious moments when we can carve out a bit of of me time are, are really very much appreciated that's that's the way so I, have to a, I have to say as a consumer like I click on my Lydia, I've not subscribed to Harper's Bazaar online, but like I click on my Vogue emails every single day religiously after 6 p.m. Right. Um, but I still can't wait to get my hard copy in the mail. And even though it might sit there for a bit, to your point about like a portable luxury, it just my apartment without actual Vogue just feels empty. Um, so I think there is definitely a place for the digital and the print. And I think a lot of uh, magazines are doing such a great job with making the digital content more like mass and accessible and then maintaining that luxurious concept of the print um, version of their magazine. So I definitely think that we constantly pit it like against each other, but I think we just need to think about it more as like a part, like, you know, one in the same, like just moving in the same direction because uh, it's it's definitely not one against the other. I think the two aid each other for sure. There's also this thing about color, isn't there? The luxury of color. You know, when you're looking at a screen, the representation is completely different depending on the screen you're looking at. When you've got something in your hand, again, it's a very different thing. So typically, if you're only ordering something off the screen, then you'd be more inclined. I don't know if this is true, but I'm just thinking from personal expense you'd be more inclined if you receive it i don't know a jacket to send it back because the color might not be quite the same thing but if you're looking at a print version um the color matches is closer isn't it and then the lydia this is a question well i think easier to just click and buy them so i will say in this regard it's much easier every time i get a moment of some a vogue email with like an editorial of like the 10 best swimsuits to buy it's a lot easier for me to just click and buy it directly from the email than like if I saw it in the print version and it's like by the time I go look it up, I've already looked up like 15 others. So from a transaction standpoint, it's easier to convert your consumer uh, editorially online than it is in print. But um, that's just, I think, a matter of conversion versus like, yeah, to your point, feel and, and, and look. Yeah, I, I, oh. I would agree with that. Um, but... I think that I might look at 10 swimsuits online and, you know, buy, buy five of them and then send all five of them back. Whereas if I'm looking at something in a magazine, um, it's, gonna, it's going to inspire me. And I will probably, well, I mean, if, if I'm going to be inspired by it, then I will go out and I will buy that particular costume because I want to look like that, that woman you know, in that picture. So it's it's a it's just a sort of it's a totally different thing. Catherine, what do you, what about you? I think um I think factual. Um color and print sells better on screen than black. So um because it has stand out on the page. Color does do well. Um and I was thinking to myself, have I bought anything luxurious in lockdown online? And I realized the only thing I've bought in luxury uh, what, that I think is luxurious is actually footwear. Everything else I've actually saved up to go into the store. How weird. And I love shopping online. <laughs> so I, think, um, I think there's something to be said for the feeling that Maria was talking about when you touch a luxurious garment. 
um, or um, so. I think I think it's I think it's very varied. You know, you don't just it, it isn't just one route for all. You don't just buy. You don't just do one thing. You do vary things. I mean, my boss always says, you know, that um, the customer looks through a magazine or looks online and then might buy it in store, or the other way around. You might be in store, try something on, and then forget about it. Then go to you know go to the website and buy it from online. So I think everything is symbiotic. You know, everything works together. It's not just one or the other. It, it's exactly the same as you were talking about reading the book on Kindle and buying other books. So it's it's we're not so one-dimensional. We're varied. You know, we, we like it all, actually. And that is the spice of life. <laughs> <laughs> liking it all. Good. Um, I like liking it all, I must say. Um, I was just thinking about change. You know, Catherine, you're saying you haven't really bought that much um, luxury stuff online. I don't think I've, I mean, my shopping habits are definitely not the same. But I was wondering, just in terms of business, um, I know, Maria, you were closed for a long, um, a long period during um, the past year. And Catherine, lots of your stores closed. And I was just wondering how you thought that your businesses have had to change or what the biggest changes that your businesses had to make over the past year um were i know you know with you know magazines you couldn't do shoots production was stalled wherever the factories were around the world stores weren't open i was just wondering what the biggest um, changes that you had to face over the year were probably the biggest challenge for me is not being able to go to singapore um we have a i have a shop there and i haven't been able to visit it in gosh 18 months now um and that's really difficult because that you know, again, it's that human connection. What you realise is, you know, your visits, if you like, I would go twice a year. And obviously it was an important part of my sales, number one, because we would typically bring out the future collection and preview it to our sort of top clients. Um, but it was also the human connection there with your the people, I suppose, your clients, your um, staff all of those things everything now just has to be done virtually and it doesn't have the same resonance so I would say that that's been my biggest challenge I mean obviously you know you manage but I miss it I really miss not going out there and seeing people but the quarantine time's just too long it's tw 21 days now which yeah. is crazy wow. will you even do anything wow that's quite a long that is quite a long time um, Lydia, what about you and the, your world of work? What's the biggest change that you've had to had to make? God, I mean, the whole thing is so fundamental. Uh, I, I, um, I mean, obviously there were no physical shows, and that's a massive part of our calendar. And so, all these weeks where I used to travel all the time, I suddenly had back, um, which you know was not not a bad thing. Um, and it was really interesting watching everything online because it's it's a bit like what we were saying about the digital versus print conversation. I think everybody's always keen to say, this is the big new thing and it's all going to be like this from now on. And for me, I, I love the digital shows. I thought they were, they were really, many of them were really inspiring, really great, but they didn't replace fashion shows for me I thought they were a great add-on and I would you know and I'm sure that the brands will continue to do them but I, I still think you need to be there because because to Maria's point you can't really see what the clothes you can't you can't see what they're trying to do you can't see the detail you can't see the material you can't really see how it moves and you know when you're looking on, on the screen and so um, I guess, yeah, that was the, that was the big, I mean, apart from obviously how we, we personally did things within the magazine in terms of, of, of exterior things that changed, that was the biggest one. And, I, and I'm really curious to see what's going to happen because clearly it's not an eco-friendly thing to do, um, fly everybody around the world constantly to see shows. But it, it, it didn't seem to me that digital shows were the absolute panacea that that people thought they might be, I guess. I mean, I think what seems to resonate is this, which is the luxury, you know, it's the luxury of, you know, touch and the physical object being, you know, being present. 
as opposed to you know then that you know seeing everything on the screen i mean human interaction you know all these things have become much more i suppose um um prevalent just in terms of our wants and needs is that we need to interact we need to see things we need to touch things I was just wondering, Bishu, just in terms of makeup, how's that manifested itself? Cosmetics and things, you know, you typically want to try. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. Yeah, we that was a tough one. I mean, that's why you hear a lot about the beauty boom. Everyone is ready to go out and, you know, have hot girl summer and hot boy summer too, but everyone's ready to go back. And, and so we saw a huge... I'm saying we meaning like the the beauty industry in general saw a huge spike in um, fragrances versus makeup, right? People still wanted that sense of feeling beautiful and, and they found it in fragrances. And then in terms of makeup, uh, you saw a lot of companies doing complimentary returns, um, really up, upping their shade finder from a foundation standpoint technologies because it was very difficult. So we saw it impact makeup sales across the beauty industry, but what also happened was fragrance sales picked up significantly. And now that the world is opening again and people are feeling safer going into the Sephora's of the world to try things, we're starting to see uh, makeup pickup. How then, I mean, this is your thing. We've, we've got, we've got a, a few minutes left. Um, I just I'm, I'm interested in data um, and how data is impacting on the decisions that you are making, you know, as as a consumer, but also as a business. How's that informing, you know, what it is you do from both perspectives? I mean, I talked about this. I think I'm not sure what channel it was on, but people shopping online is probably the best gift to happen to every retailer out there. Right. Because. When you walk in the store, you, you might pay cash. Um, we have no idea that, uh, you know, if I walk in the store and I pay cash, there's no way to know that I'm a young black female, X demographic. Like, there's just no way to tell who you can see that you sold a leopard print dress, but you can't see who's bought the leopard print dress versus online. When I pay, you see exactly who I am. You can then do um, matches to my credit card and affinity group. So, I definitely think that data has become way more important now that people are shopping online and think about it in terms of the sample size, right? When you're making it from an academic standpoint, you know, how wide is your sample size? It's a whole lot wider. And so precision um, and uh, recommendation tools are becoming even sharper. And that will make our overall online experiences, I would say, even more um more personal as we kind of move along. And so it's almost been a gift that we've had so much online transactions because from a data standpoint, it's been it's been one of the best uh, in terms of collecting consumer. I don't want to say collecting consumer information because that's not necessarily what's happening, but that's what's happening in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Catherine, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point there because you can now tell who your customer is. Uh, in you've all you have much more detail about your customer. So are you then? And this, I, I guess, um, Lydia would. This would be a, a a question to both of you. Is that you know who your customer is? You know how long they're spending on the page. You know then what they're ordering. Does that inform your kind of forward thinking strategy? Totally. I mean, we look at number of clicks and we look at which emails resonate the best with our consumers, and um, we look at. Um, we look at the most searched terms, we and that you can see trends when you look at the most searched terms. You know, in the pandemic, obviously hoodies and um t-shirts were huge. And now it's all about the dress and um and you can see bags coming back and footwear coming back. Um but you know, I think data is, you know, our 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 email um database grew by thirty-five percent over the year. So I think I think Bijou's right, you know. It has been a gift because we know so much more and we can get it more right. Um, and we can see which, which way of speaking to our customer results in the, in the best revenue. So, yeah, it, it has changed. Our data has changed um, the way we predict the future and what's important. But it's more instantaneous. So, for example, customers are like, you know, today they decide they all want to buy dresses. So it's instant. Whereas with um with when you're doing the when you're creating product and you're doing the buy, you're working a year to nine months to six months ahead, just like magazines. So you you can't decide today that dresses are going to be important tomorrow. You needed to decide that a long time ago. So yeah. you've still got to have foresight. 
sure. And Lydia, it's the same with you because you're projecting um, well into the future just in terms of what, you know, you're not, you're not printing a magazine in two days, but uh, you're updating the website um, with stories constantly. What about your... Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where it's great to have both, obviously, because we have immediate insight into what people are wanting. And it was really interesting during the pandemic, just there was this arc of, you know, people wanting loungewear and slippers and things and then it moved on to people wanting like at home beauty laser treatments things like that and then you know so there was this absolute arc but we we saw that happen immediately but that that obviously is not reflected in the print magazine because that is more about us feeling this is in the air this is what's interesting this is what's coming up so it's yeah it's just it's just a package of of uh, I mean I think if we I'm just trying to think because, for instance, if we see that everybody's incredibly interested in royal stories online, that wouldn't necessarily feed at all into the magazine. We wouldn't say, OK, well, we know the Bazaar reader loves royalty because actually the Bazaar uh, um, online consumer is not necessarily the Bazaar reader. But where we, it does have an, an immediate impact is, uh, for example, with our events uh, where we especially I mean where people were turning up to begin with and now obviously in the chat functions and things like that people will say you know I really loved that the talk on this you know or she was amazing and and that sort of thing is then we will then probably get them back in and do another one with them or you know write more about that topic because that's the thing that's sort of really resonating with, with our with our consumers. Just to, um, to finish off, I just wondered, and um, we could think about what you think is new on the on the horizon in in terms of the uh, emergent luxury experience. <laughs> ended with an easier question. I know. I was like, I guess that's a good question okay. for visionary women. I want to hear what the others are going to say first. So. Yeah. Well, this is your vision. You know, you guys are leading um, in terms of what you're putting out there. We're following you. So I have to say, I could just say one thing I'm very excited about, obviously, as a minority woman, is just the amount of inclusion that is happening in luxury. It is, I just never, you know, I was saying to a friend of mine, I used to collect vogues that had women of color on it, and I have a little section, and it's like a part of my apartment. I've just stopped collecting them because there are just so many now. Um, and even just um, seeing people from different um backgrounds different like I think Gucci had a woman with Down syndrome as part of their campaign Ellie and so just seeing the inclusiveness of luxury is probably the most exciting thing for me and it will definitely welcome a whole lot more people into the fold and that just keeps the wheels turning right because to cater to a certain group of people when the world is becoming increasingly more diverse and people from diverse backgrounds are having more disposable income to spend it's just so limited um, so I think it definitely keeps all of us employed for the longer term because we're just welcoming more people into the fold. But I'm just really excited to see all that's happening on that front. Brilliant. Maria, what about you? Uh, well, I think, you know, I think what's been happening in luxury for the longest time is that kind of mix of the virtual online experience with the physical. So when you're sort of having that kind of in a way it's an omni-channel experience so you might go into a shop you might experience something but well then we don't have your color or your size but we can just ship it to you so that kind of essential convenience and mixing those two experiences um, and I think we're seeing retail stores becoming less about a simple shopping experience and more of an overall experience something more immersive you know um, and something more storytelling in a way. So I think that that is, you know, I, I think that that's going to really continue. The virtual fitting, virtual trying, I think we're seeing a bit of that coming through, but I don't know how the consumer's really reacting to that on a real level, you know. Um, so I, I don't know what point that will because I think that the whole experience of trying on clothes actually is a physical thing. I think people still enjoy that physicality of how does it really look on my body? So I think it's really about the challenge of creating those environments within the stores that 
allow for inspiration, excitement, all of the things that perhaps, you know, in some ways a, a show might do, but you're bringing the, the customer into that whole brand story in a very real way. I think that's, that's what I expect to see. And Catherine, just before you go. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Um, for me, I think um, what's on the horizon is bespoke. I think what is important for each individual is very different. Um, so and I think that's amazing. You know, so you can have what you want, whatever your luxury is. So I, I love that, that, that that is the future instead of it being so generic. Okay. Um, and um, last but not least, um, Lydia, what is, uh, what's new on the horizon? Um, oh, I agree with everything that everybody said, <laughs> but I think I think that luxury, you know, used to be buying a thing, and now it's it is very much um, it's a, an experience. It's it's a living a life, and the brands that used to focus solely on product are now focused on on experience. So you know, Louis Vuitton has hotels, and Dolce and Gabbana sell coffee machines, and you know, there's the Anya Hein March's new blow dry experience because because as maria says it's it's it, 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 you're not just going into a shop to buy a thing you are it is a sort of taster of the luxury um the whole luxury experience so i think you know i guess it means that we're all going to have to try even harder which um which is just going to be great for the consumer um i can't thank you all enough i mean this has been uh, fantastic so thank you so much for giving us um, an hour of your time and um, we've recorded it so we're going to share some of the voice recording as opposed to the visual recording with those who have attended those who haven't but again thank you so much for joining us and have a super super day thank you thank you thank you thanks sean have a good one thank you thank you maria lydia bijou catherine and veronica Thank you to our partner Intellect Books and thank you for listening. Join us next time on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast.